The Chris Sheeran Show, only on YesNetwork.com. My name is Chris Sheeran. To your right, my left, on this side of the stage, that's my co-host for The Chris Sheeran Show on YesNetwork.com and iTunes. That's Lou DiPietro. And of course I saved the best for last. Oh, by the way, it's at Lou DiPietro, yes, on Twitter. I'm at Chris Sheeran, yes, on Twitter. But the man of the hour in the middle here, uh, you might recognize him from that picture in the back where Steiner Sports Collectibles is set up. This is the hero of uh, the 1996 World Series for the Yankees, Mr. Jim Leyritz. So, how about a round of applause for Mr. Leyritz? Uh, he is nice enough to join us here for the Chris Sheeran Show podcast live. Uh, before we get into 1996-1998-1999-reminisce-and-then-we'll-talk-about-the-Yankees-and-Mets-and-Major-League-Baseball-and-General-this-year-just-have-a-couple-of-thank-yous-but-I-have-to-get-out-there-before-we-proceed-and
Uh, hopefully this is the start of something we continue to do in the future, and there are World of Europe locations across this great land that we call the United States of America. Go to www.worldofbeerusa.com to find one near you. Okay, now let's do some baseball. You, you did that very much yeah. like a Yes Network announcer right there. Those are very Michael K. teams right there. I just want to say that. Wow, in the same breath as Michael K. I am not worthy. I am not worthy. Anyway, um, you know what? Let's, let's start where you grew up. Lakewood, Ohio. I think that's a good jumping off point because maybe a lot of people don't know that you're from Ohio. My first question to you would be, you know, as a kid growing up here, and I know Luke, Luke grew up in Connecticut, so he was on that Red Sox-Yankees line. But I know my brother, myself, when we grew up in this area, we dreamt of playing in Yankee Stadium. Did you, you were right outside of Cleveland. Did you want well, to play for Cleveland? Yeah, but here's me. I was born in Cleveland. Oh, you were? Yeah, I was born in Cleveland, but I moved to Cincinnati, Ohio when I was six years old. I was given bad information by myself. No, 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 I was born in Lakewood, Ohio. <laughs> oh, okay. That's why I was born. All right. But I moved to Cincinnati, I grew up in Cincinnati. Which is even better because I grew up with a big red machine. Ah, okay. And I was very fortunate because one of my best friends growing up was Tommy Brennan. Oh, nice. And Tommy's dad obviously was an announcer for the Reds, mm -hmm. still is today. Right. But uh, Tommy and I became good friends. I used to be able to go to spring training with Tommy every year, be a bat boy, and kind of hang out with the team. And that's how I became. The big red machine was my first team that I loved. Uh, and of course, Pete Rose. Was my idol. <laughs> he was my idol, and you know, a lot of things that I did during my playing days, watching the ball in the mitt, running down the first base after a walk, I learned those things from Pete Rose. And what about, you know, you were, you were a decent basketball player, so yeah. why, why did you choose baseball over basketball? Well, because I, I was 5'9", 160 pounds when I started high school, okay. and I was 5'9 and a half. 165 pounds, <laughs> but I graduated So, even though I was one of the top point guards in Cincinnati, right. there wasn't much of a future past college. And I wanted to be a pro athlete. And my dad, my dad who played college basketball at Kent State University said, you can go to college and be a good college basketball player, but you're not going to play pro. You have a chance to scout like you to play pro baseball. And you know what? You can be a draft pick in high school. Well, let's talk about that because the scouts did like you. Yes. And you were supposed to go high in the draft, if not the first overall draft well, pick. I was supposed to be right behind Barry Larkin. Okay. And who was your high school teammate, by the way? We should we have to bring that up because uh, anybody, anybody who's anybody played high school baseball. You fast forward into the future. Hindsight is 2020. But if I'm looking into the other dugout. And I see Jim Lairitz and Barry Larkin about to take the field against South River High School. I'm just throwing my glove up in the air. Nope, we're good. Uh, that's it. It's over. Well, we actually played summer ball. Okay. Yeah, yeah. We played we played on a team called the Newman Redskins, which I had Ken Griffin Jr. Just recently, Eric Hosmer. We played there in Cincinnati. This was a 17 or 18 year old travel team that was put together by a guy named Joe Aiton, who just passed. But we played together, we were roommates the whole time. Matter of fact, I just went to the Knicks game the other night. Saw that. And saw, his, right. saw Shane play, and it was not because he was coming out today. He said, kind of looked at me like, you look familiar. <laughs> I played with your father, your dad. We <laughs> played together, so. But, uh, you know, having a chance to play, and then, you know, Barry went to Moeller High School, which was the, the number one football school, you know, athletic uh -huh. school. And, uh, you know, we were supposed to be the number one, number two guys out of Cincinnati in 1982, out of that class. And uh, two days before the draft, I got stupid one, played tennis and broke my leg. So, 
that kind of ruined that. A little hiss back. Sorry about that. The greatest thing about the story, though, right. is that the team that was drafting me out of high school, I was talking to my father, uh -huh. with the Atlanta Braves. Okay. Oh. <laughs> there was a, a scout named Hep Crosby <laughs> who's still there, and my dad still kids it today. Just because it's broken, it's like you should have taken a chance. Because <laughs> if you would have, you could have changed it. Yeah, absolutely. Seems like you got some pretty good revenge on them oh, yeah. at some point later in time. No? There was some kind of mojo there that happened that because they didn't draft me, I was maybe, maybe in the back of my mind I was going after that. that we'll, we'll get to that really down the line. But, I mean, that, that call just sticks in it, whether it's John Sterling or whether it's Joe Buck. If, if there's something that can still send chills down my spine and goosebumps everywhere, it's those two calls. Either one of them. Track wall, you're tied, and John Sterling, he did pull a wall. I mean, it was just unbelievable. And I was listening to it during 100 miles an hour. To get to the south of the pub to watch the game with my friends. <laughs> and Mo struck out somebody in the eighth. And I just pulled in for the, in the top of the eighth. I got there for the bottom of the eighth and saw the top of the ninth. Oh, God, it was great, but I don't want to rush the bit, so go ahead. Well, I was going to say, you know, you did you did pretty long. You know what? You end up not getting drafted. You go to junior college, you go to the University of Kentucky, four years of college baseball, still undrafted. After being one of the top players in the country four years earlier, you now signed with the Yankees out of, out of college undrafted, and thus the story begins. Well, what it was, was I was a catcher in high school, and I was a catcher that they loved. And when I, when I broke my foot, it was what they called the Bill Walton injury. And they weren't sure if it was going to heal. So my first two years of junior college, I couldn't catch. So, and they really wanted me, especially the Braves, really wanted me as a catcher. So the reason I chose Middleton to junior college is because the Braves scouts suggested that. Well, because I still couldn't catch. When I went to the University of Kentucky, I told the coach, I, I know I can't catch this year, but next year I want to catch. And he said, well, you know, Let's see. I played my junior year, did really well, hit the ball, you know, average again, but didn't get drafted. Went out and played summer ball in Kansas, and I told the coach when I came out there, I want to catch. And all I did was catch out there, and as soon as the game saw me catch, it was like, okay, you're in the signs, I'm like, yeah, let's go. And so that's really what it was. Is they really wanted me more to catch than anything else. No, as you say, um, you know, you sign and you win. Three batting title, a uh, batting title, and three championships in the minors. <laughs> so there's nothing more Not Yankee way than coming up and winning a championship yeah. at every level of the minors. Uh, and then, you know, you come up in 1990, not the best of times for the no. New York Yankees. No, was that something real? That was that was Bucky Dent. Bucky Dent being fired to stop. Right, and that was 69 wins, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Oh yeah, I remember. I remember it well. I was I was in elementary school. I'm just gonna throw that out there. But I remember so it well. He's gonna put my age. In yeah, exactly. <laughs> Tremendously. But I, no, I remember those. I remember those years well because I grew up on the right side of the Yankees Red Sox line, as some may see it in some yeah, Right. So, right. but you, know, you get to the majors in 1990, and after after everything, you know, first at bat, get your first hit, first day. What's What's going through your mind at that point? It's like, you know, this is it. I made it. They want me, wanted me to hit that turn. I'm here. I've got a batting average and baseball reference page eventually. And after all you went through with the, with the foot, and you didn't know you didn't get drafted, you had to go to Juco, you had to go to Kentucky. Getting to that moment with the Yankees, 
pinching for Wayne Tollison. Yeah. Um, uh, who, yeah. Who wore number two? Yes. Yeah, that's pretty, yeah. pretty famous. Oh, yeah. <laughs> or was it Dale Barra? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's a few guys. <laughs> we know who was, you know who was coming through the engine. I, I kind of compare, and we'll get to this a little bit later, but not the new year. But I kind of compare our team to what the Yankees are going through. It was almost a joke in the minor leagues that you play really well for the Yankees minor leagues and you get traded to a team in the big leagues because they only go get free agents, they only get the top players, and there was no room for us to play. You know, so I, I can remember 1989, double A, our team was 70 and 30 at one point. Wow. And no one was getting moved. No. <laughs> And it was almost a joke, like, you know, Rodney Hines, I remember, was one of our pitchers with 17 and 4 and didn't get promoted. And it was like, you know, what's, you because know, again, it was, you just didn't seem like there was, I can imagine the last 10 years in the Yankee organization, for these guys that are going to finally get their chance now, probably are going through the same thing because you had Jeter, Cano, A-Rod, Teixeira, all those guys in front of you. What else could that's you the way it was, yeah, especially during right. the dynasty. I'm sure in 1989 it was great for the city of Albany, but not so much for, <laughs> exactly. for you guys. Exactly. You know. Yeah, so I think that was that was the biggest thing. That they were probably starting to get that break, and all of a sudden Yankees realized, hey, we got pretty good minor league guys that we've never even heard. Of. I mean, for me, I went from being the full-time catcher, learning to catch again, to 1988 or 1989 where John Ramos was the number one draft pick for the Yankees. And instead of me being the catcher anymore, I had to learn to play the outfield Because he was their number one pick on the Stanford University. And he was going to come to double A clutch. And I had to learn to go play the outfield. And then, when did you go down to learn third place, too? Well, and then 1989 spring training, uh, I started off catching. And they had Hanson Dan Van Right. Supposed to be their superstar. They, they'd given him one or two years and he hadn't done much. Which shows how volatile the minor leagues are. And they told me the last day of spring training when I thought I'd made the team that we want you to go to Triple A in 1990, spring training. They told me the last day of spring training in 1990, we want you to go to Triple A, learn how to play third base because we think that's where you're going to be. It's your best opportunity. Now, again, going through everything you went through, oh. hearing that. You know, you think you made the team, and now you're going back to AAA. And back then it was Columbus, if I'm not mistaken. So, what's going through your mind then? I mean, you're like Job, the baseball person. <laughs> I mean, this is ripped right out of the Bible. For, for everything you went through, and starting with that injury, you just had to be saying to yourself, what do I have to do to get to the majors? I mean, but... In the back of your mind, you're also thinking, all right, if I go down here and learn third base, that makes me more of a makes me more of a draw. I can play here, I can play there, and I can catch too. Did you think it was going to make you more marketable going back down? Well, you know what? The bottom line is when Bill Lipsy signed me, he said, I said, what position are you put down? He said, I played a few positions. And he said, I'll put down and hit it. <laughs> that's exactly what he said to me. I'll put down and hit it. And again, that's, that's all I can think about is just, just give me a chance to play. Right. Give me a chance to swing the bat, and I know what I can do offensively. Uh, but it was good, but it was tough. You know, I was not happy at all. I said, listen, you know, I'm a catcher. I, I, right. I know that's what I've been waiting so long to do. Catchers, catchers have a mentality where they're catching. They're well, catching. And back then, I, you know, back then, I'm like, I can hit 250 and catch. 
I'm going to be here for a long time. You know, and I knew I could hit 250 blindfold. So I, I thought that was a pretty good rap. But you know, when they sent me back down, it was, it was not. It was the last day of spring training. I thought I had made the team. And I was just like, it was devastating. Uh, and then, of course, you know, this is 1990. And, uh, you know, so I went down there with the, you know, trying to have the right attitude. And I remember, uh, you know, Bucky was the manager, and him and I had some situations with the single leg ball earlier. So I thought maybe that was part of the reason. And then, sure enough, the day he gets fired. Which shouldn't be, but right. the day he gets fired. Of course, you know, there's politics involved and everything. Everything. Yeah, and when he gets fired, everything. everything. <laughs> Scott Merrill becomes the manager, and within two days, I'm back in the big So, So, I asked. You know, all the kids that play now, we, we cover the minor leagues for YesNetwork.com. I've been doing it since 2006. And we follow these kids from Staten Island to Tampa to Charleston and then to Trenton and Scranton and up to the Big Club. And when a guy like Brett Gardner, just as an example, who I followed to Staten Island, makes it to the Big Club, you ask him, what was it like when you got called into management? So I'm going to pose it to you. I'll give you the night, 0 for 6 against Toledo, in Toledo, Ohio. The, the mud pit of Ohio. The mud hens. Yes, the mud hens. Now and the nickname makes sense. Yes. yes. <laughs> yes. So we're playing, we're playing doubleheader. I went 0 for 6. I threw my helmet a couple times. One time it ricocheted and hit Rick Downs, who was the manager. That sounds familiar. Where's my brother? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and, he, and the game's over with. It's like 1 o'clock in the morning. And he calls me into the office, and I walk in. I think I'm going to get yelled at. Right. And then, you know, and then I see Alan Mills, and I'm like, okay, what's going on here? And he says, this is the first time, and it's my honor to tell you guys that you guys are going to be. Wow. And Alan Mills and I were like, oh, okay. <laughs> so, you know, I called my dad at 1 in the morning, and he's like, what do, you, what do you want? I said, hey, Dad, guess what? And he's like, it better be important. I said, I'm going to the big leagues, and all of a sudden I could fall drop. And I was like, did he fall back asleep? <laughs> or is he actually shocked that I made? And yeah, I was told that I was going to the big leagues. I called my wife up. She was in Columbus. Right. Said, honey, I'm on my way home. I got a pack. I'm leaving tomorrow to go to Baltimore. And the next morning, the next afternoon, Al and I got on a plane. We show up in Baltimore. You know, we barely get to the team hotel, and we got to turn around and get to the ballpark. And, uh, you know, no sleep, you know, nothing. You're not, you don't care though. Oh, no, forget this. You know, it's, it's adrenaline. Oh, yeah. So we get there, and uh, Buck Walter was one of the coaches, and he greets us, and, you know, shows us everything. And I see stop and we're saying hello, and, you know, congratulations, the whole nine yards. And then, uh, you know, we, we, we didn't get to take batting practice. I didn't, because we got there too late. So we're sitting on the bench, and about the fifth inning, Buck Walter comes up to me and says, Jimmy. Be ready to hit. And I'm like, I better go get some coffee. <laughs> I was having sleep. You know, even though I was excited to be in there, right. you know, you need some after the fifth inning, yeah. I started to be like, okay. Uh -huh. you know, so I, I went back, started getting ready to hit. All of a sudden, I'm looking in, and I'm watching. It's the eighth inning, and I see Greg Olson warming up. And Greg Olson at that time was one of the top believers. Right. He was 13 for 13 in saves. And I said, okay, right in the picture, I'm not going to get a chance. Yeah. Sure enough. Give me layers. Yep, I, I, <laughs> I, I, I get loose just in case. I walk out to the bench, I'm sitting there, got my gloves on, and all of a sudden, Shawaka goes, be ready. 
and sure enough, you know, he put me in the picture for Talos and Butterflies. Well, you know what? There were two outs, and Steve Sachs was out. And I'm like, okay, I'm, you know, he's going to strike out Sachs. It's awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So I wasn't even going to get And then, sure enough, Sachs would get on, I think he got on the base hit. And then, then the first pitch to me, you know, 86 foot or 86 mile hour curveball that bounced about 50 feet. And you swung. And I swung. <laughs> Great. So I swung at that one. Next pitch, same thing. Sachs, the second pitch got by him, and Saxon got the second. And then he, he wasted a fastball up high. The next pitch he threw was a curveball that just barely didn't foul. And I just said, okay, you know, at least I made contact. And then sure enough, he came back with me again. Huh? I got a base hit between short and third. Saxon scores a time run. So I blew his first save in that game. And, uh, Were you shocked that he went to a curveball again? You know what? I probably I couldn't even tell you what I was doing. All I, all I was just trying to do was battle and go, okay, don't the don't pull up like an idiot. But then I got the base hit. Randy Milligan was playing first base and got the ball for me. And uh, we go out the next inning, we tied the game up. And we didn't go ahead, we tied it up. We go out the next inning, they load the bases. I'm playing third, the guy hits a, a, a one hopper. I make a great diving play, but instead of tagging third, throwing the first, you get a double play, and the inning, I thought I wouldn't have time to do that. Try to throw the ball home to Matt Noakes, one hopped him, Matt Noakes. and he missed the ball, and we had to lose the game. So, kind of a bittersweet, yeah. you know. More sweet than bitter. Exactly, exactly. And a loss in June compared to your first <laughs> major league hit. I think we can go with the scales. Exactly, exactly. Um, it was a good thing. It was a good day to Yeah. In the grand scheme of things, very few people remember that one hop through the match. Yeah, yeah. More remember the big sit for short and third, I think. That's Namely it. you, but you're gonna you're gonna remember the good and the bad. Oh yeah. Before we keep going, before one more a couple more things before we get to 1996, and I know Lou wants to weigh in on these things too. The first thing for me is the bat the batsman. Oh yeah. Where did that and I know you've probably been asked this a million times. It's okay. But where did it start and why did you do it? Started in junior college. Okay. We used to do these little bat tricks during practices. So the team. All team. Guys with foot bats behind their back. Everybody had their own little thing. I was kind of a Mickey Rivers fan. Okay. And I used to watch Mickey twirl the bat. Uh -huh. So I was like, okay, so I started this twirl. And uh, ever since one, one game, everybody said, okay, we're going to do it during the game. Like one guy had it when he walked up to the plate. Mine was after I took the pitch. Right. And that was kind of the routine. Well, sure enough, I took the pitch, did it, next pitch I had a home run. Then you're definitely not stopped. So, again, did it again, double. Super you know, like, kicks in a death row. Exactly, exactly. So the funny thing was, though, when I first got called up, it was almost like these guys thought I was showing up. They didn't know that this was my routine. That was my next question. Yeah, they didn't know this was the routine. They thought, oh, you know, this is some rookie. Right. I got hit by more pitches in my rookie year because I did, and I didn't know that was the reason. But there was a guy named Alan Anderson that pitched in the Minnesota Twins. Okay. He hit me like six times. And I, I kept saying, okay, he's trying to get my weaknesses in. What point did you yeah. say, I have to talk to this guy? <laughs> the next year he got traded okay. to us. Oh, really? So it's spring training, we're talking to each other. And I, I went up to him and I said, why don't you always you know, come inside and try to hit me? And he's like, I was trying to hit you. <laughs> 
We thought you were a show off at the back twirl, watching the balls in the mitt. I said, no, I grew up with Pete Rose. Wait, I just did that joke like this. Yeah, that was just my thing. And his thing was fried chicken. Yeah, exactly. thing was the best. But the other thing, before we move on, besides the bat spin, uh, you know, everybody that wanted to play in the major leagues, I know guys out here who wanted to play in the major leagues, they think about what song they would have walking up. Now, I don't remember yours in Yankee Stadium, but what was it back then? And if you played now, what would it be? Well, you know, we didn't have it in the beginning. Right. I don't think they started that until like 97, 98. Right. So, uh, 99. So, well, so 96, I would have had a walk-up song. Okay, 96. I did. You did. But we had one, and I had one with the Padres okay. in 98. All right. It was a brand new band because I got traded somewhere and I got a brand new start. A little thought went behind Well, I was so happy I got traded from the other guys, the Red Sox, to the Padres. <laughs> so I said, okay, I'm a brand new band. I'm the Red Sox. Uh, so, so I played brand new band with them. All of a sudden, I got traded back to New York. And so the first thing they did was come on, hey, we need your music, we need your music. I'm like, well, it can't be brand new man, because I've got to use that once. At that time, the song Back in New York Groove by Kiss was out. And that's what I played was Back in New York Groove, because I was back in New York. And now the New York Giants play that after the touchdown. Yeah, once again, once again, a thoughtful, uh, yes. a thoughtful yeah, reflection. Personal reflection. And you know, fans in the stands, they appreciate it. Well, what you have to remember, this is the one thing people always say. Yeah, I was in, I was at the Yankees the first four and a half years in the Yankees, the first seven years in the Big Leagues, and then I came back for another year and a half. It's about another twelve years total. That was my second family. That was my that that was the, it, you know you don't want to say anything that defines you as a person, but you know what? As a, as a young ball player, as a kid, that all my goals were was to play professional baseball. To have the thirteen years or twelve years. Being part of that Yankee family, Mr. Steinbrenner and Holcomb, that was my second family. And it's just, it's, it's great to be a part of that. And, you know, once you win here, you know, there's nothing like See, we, we always talk about segues on this show. Boom. And, and that was the right there. Segway. So, boom, take it away. I'm gonna, I want to start with 1995 because everybody remembers 1996. That's as a fair Chris, point. As Chris said at the track, Game two of the ALDS, Seattle, 14th inning, 15th inning. I was in Philly, uh, South Jersey, college. And we didn't even have the game. This is before the networks had it. Okay. So I was getting the cuttings. I didn't even see it live, and I lost my, I can't say that on the podcast, but I lost it. When you hit that home run, absolutely lost it. I'm sorry, everyone. Yeah, but that's, that's the first of, of many uh, Jim Weirich postseason oh, home runs that were... Uh, monumental, and, for lack of a better word. And he followed Don Mattingly's blast. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And which Gary Thorne has a pretty tremendous call on that one. Oh, he has that one, and even Paul O'Neill's call. Yes. Paul O'Neill's call yes. is a great call, yes. too. Yes. Now, you came up through that team. You played with Don Mattingly for five and a half years. My greatest teammate ever. This is his first postseason experience after 13 and change years in the big leagues. You know, this is all of you guys' really first postseason experience with, with the Yankees. How badly did you guys want to, you're up to nothing, right? how badly yeah. did you guys want to win that series just even for Don? Well, almost to a fault that whole year, Buck Showalter made the point that this was Don Madden. We were doing this for Don Almost to a point where it probably annoyed some of the other veteran guys. As a young kid, I didn't care. I, you know, my first time in Yankee Stadium, walking into the locker room, Donnie was, my, was right next to me. 
So that was a thrill for me. But Donnie, like you said, that year, it was all about, let's do this for the Let's do this for the And you know, we really wanted to win it for them. We thought after going up 2 nothing, this is it. You know, we're going to come back home, we're going to get to the next round of playoffs, and we're going to get into that game. To, to them, hopefully, they win series. It was, uh, it was a tough ending. You know, I, I, I make the joke that uh, Seattle kind of got it back this year. Yeah. <laughs> because there was a guy that made a certain catch in the Super Bowl that would have been the Jim Lambert's home run. And it was nothing because they didn't win the game. My home run wound up being a footnote, just like that catch wound up being a footnote because we didn't win. And you were talking about this earlier with you know the logjam of all the positions, especially during the dynasty. If anybody in the Yankee minor league system played first base from 1982 to 1995, they were pretty much you know up the creek without a pack. A couple of them became pretty good elsewhere. One of which being your second hometown team, Cincinnati, the Hal Morris. Hal Morris. Hal Morris. Hal Morris. Snow, Snow, getting Snow, traded out to uh, California. The Giants. So it's uh, yeah. They make they make well for themselves. They did okay. They're pretty good, but. No one's going to supplant Donnie. And you know what? I'm glad you brought that up because one of the lasting memories I have of being a Yankee fan is that last out in Toronto and him pounding the turf in his face. Oh, yeah. That was awesome. That, I mean, that hit Pat Kelly's home run? Yeah, Pat Kelly. That that hit me. That really did. It hit your core when you see something like that because you know how much that meant to him. Well, yeah, especially for you guys being his team. Everybody's, everybody always wonders when they see these guys on the field playing still with so much energy, still at a good level, a high level, why why they retire? Right. You know, and I said to people, a lot of my friends were asking me, you know, in 96, why did we retire? He could have playing, he had a great playoff, he had a you know, why did we quit? What people didn't see is that at 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock in the morning on the road, him getting up, him going, shooting the pool, doing all these extra things that he had to do. He put in seven to eight hours of work before he even got to the ballpark to be able to get on the field. I, I want to go off on a tangent <laughs> Because this is something that, that hits me all the time. And I know you know this. The late, great Kirby Puckett is in the Hall of Fame. He and Donnie have similar, similar numbers. He's in, Donnie's not. Here's the argument I brought up on this podcast I brought up with my friends. I brought up with complete strangers. To my knowledge, Don Mattingly never put a PVD in his body. Okay? He had all these back problems. His most of his career, and towards the end of his career, if he elongated his career by doing PVDs and didn't have a couple more years where he was good and got into the Hall of Fame, he'd be there. True or false? True. So, my argument with all these guys that are under that cloud of suspicion getting into the Hall of Fame, and you can disagree with me if you want, that's fine, that's, that's what this is about. I put my opinion out there and you trash me. <laughs> I told you my Twitter handle, go right ahead and do it, I'm used to it. Oh, I that. <laughs> but, my, my point is, if he's not in and he didn't cheat to keep those, you know, you have to get a certain amount of years where you have a certain amount of numbers, you have to be consecutive with it, whatever, you know, all these unwritten rules about the Hall of Fame. But he didn't do that. So why should guys who did cheat to prolong their careers, why should they get into the Hall of Fame? You're, you're, and that's, you can't argue that point. But that's me. That's a good point. And you, know, you can't really argue it. You know, the only argument that you could possibly have is there's a lot of guys that are like you know, Tim Raines. You look at what he's another one. How is that guy not right. in the Hall of Fame? 
you know, it, it's, there, there are arguments, and I would have to say if, if you look like the 5% of the guys that aren't in the Hall of Fame that belong in it, Donnie's in that 5%. Thank you. Thank you. That, that's all I wanted to hear. And, you know, the Veterans, the veterans Committee, it, his fate is in their hands now going forward, and they may see it that way. I mean, he was, again, I, I hate to show my age. When I was a kid, you're when young. I was a teenager, you should be happy to so I know, I mean, it's When I was a kid, when I was a teenager, I was one of those kids that had the Hitman poster with the pink stripe suit on my wall. Yes. I was one of those kids that believed that Don Mattingly was the greatest first baseman on the face of the earth. When he was winning MVPs and a batting title, and the Yankees were not good, and Don Mattingly was amazing. See, this is the other thing. The fact that Wade Boggs has a World Series ring and Donnie doesn't, that just frosts me. Oh my goodness, does it frost me over. You, you have no idea. He was in those battles with Wade Boggs for the hitting title almost every single season. And then Wade's riding off into the sunset like Roy Rogers on a horse at Yankee Stadium in 1996. And Donnie, although they, the Yankees did well by him when they gave him the day, when they gave him the ring, of course they needed to do that. But I mean, it just, it had to kill him too. But he, he's doing all for himself. He's managing the Dodgers and they have a goodest chance than anybody. Think of, think, of, think of children of my generation that grew up as New York sports fans. Right. They have Don Mattingly and Patrick Hughes. They are two of the greatest players in the history of their franchises and never won. Right. Never won. Thanks for reminding me, Ruth. And yet, and, and yet, you know, you laugh how some people can look at how this guy had so many Super Bowl rings or whatever. And you can go to the NFL and say Dan Marino never won one. So, you know, Trent Bilford and Dan Marino did That doesn't mean anything. Yeah. But Dan Marino was an ace of drugs. Dan Marino is an ace of drugs. He's a hell of an ace of drugs. Yes, he yes, is. But, you know, you can, you can look back and see all the guys that were in the, in the organization in the late 90s, in the 2000s. You know, Derek and, and the core four winning all those rings and all the guys around them. And, and poor Donnie never had one. Only had one chance. Yeah. Only ever had one chance. So, you know, when you see a guy like Jeter in 96 come on as a rookie, he's the shortstop, he wins the World Series, he's the rookie of the year, gets all these accolades. You can see why a guy like him, like Derek's a special case, but you never take that for granted. No. That may never happen. That never happened again for Dan Marino after 1984. I say this all the time too. If you're a kid, if you were born in 1990, you're a Yankees fan. It's called you are the yep. I mean, oh my goodness! All you know is success. The Yankees missed the playoffs two years in a row, and the sky is falling. Where's Chicken Little? It's back in the 80s. <laughs> you remember a home run getting hit in right field, and. About five minutes after the home run was hit, you saw someone running from the lows to get the ball because there was nobody out there. Oh yeah, I can remember you know, my first year in 90. We had 17,000 people on average at Yankee Stadium. It was tough. Yeah, it was tough. Tickets were a lot easier to get back then. Yeah, that's a lot of games when I was a kid. Yeah, that's where a little easier. A little bit, a little bit. But you, you set us up with a segue, and I threw us all out of proportion. So a little bit. No, I was just saying, so we're 95. The, the whole, so the Hall of Fame, the Hall of Fame we're was the segue. Yeah. The Hall of Fame was the segue. 95, 96 coming up, catching. You caught Andy Pettit, so Andy Pettit a lot. This is, the, this is the argument I have now with Chris with the Don Mattingly Hall of Fame. So I'm just going to point blank as his teammate, as a baseball watcher, and as a baseball life for yourself. Is Andy Pettit a Hall of Fame? That's another one of those borderlines. I mean, the numbers are, the numbers are good, but they're not that next match. And I hate to say, if he had been a Yankee for those three years he left, he might get more consideration. 
because he would have been with his career. Even though he went to the Astros and went to the series? Well, yeah, I thought it was but they lost. Again, as his personal catcher, I, I would say yes. He's, he's that, he was good enough. What he did for the Yankees, what he did in those big games, has, I think, makes up for the numbers that aren't going to be Hall of Fame-ish. Right. That they would say, that, that as good as he was in the big game, I think he deserves pretty pretty high consideration. That's, that's almost also a Jack Morris argument as well. Right. Jack Morris started how many game runs in game sevens? Right. Anybody that played with Andy Credit, anybody that caught Andy Credit, will tell you yes he does, because we know what he meant. But from the outside, if you're looking at the numbers, and you're just looking at, you know, you obviously want to know what he did. It is a Jack Morris exactly. You brought up catching Andy Pettit, so that's where I want to go as we enter 1996. You caught him in game one. You caught him in game five. In game one. Almost did catch him in game five. Really? Yeah. You can tell us that story in a second, but I just want to give everybody the numbers, and I want to get them right, which is why I wrote them down. Two and a third, six hits, seven earned in game one. Game five, the Paul O'Neill catch. Everybody remembers that. Eight and a third, five hits, no earned runs. What was the difference, and tell us a story about you almost didn't catch him, but what was the difference between game one and game five? Well, it wasn't nerves. Everybody tried to say, oh, it's nervous. I don't think it was nerves. I think it was, he just couldn't find the point. Okay. He was 2-0 on every hitter. Uh, getting behind, getting some good lineup. Exactly. Andrew Jones, we knew nothing about. 19 years old. Exactly. Um, and you know what, he just, he just didn't have good, good placement with his pitches that night. And he got hit. Fast forward to game five, or game four, I hit the home run. After the game was over, Joe Tour calls me in And Joe says, thinking about not catching me. I was like, listen, I don't care. You can pick a joke out of my life. <laughs> you know, you can, you can do whatever you want. You know, but why? Yeah. And he said, well, you know, Andy and you have been great together. One thing, you know, 19 games together. He said, but he's afraid to shake you off. And real, yeah. And wow. he goes, I, I don't, I don't trust that you'll go with our game plan. Okay. <laughs> so I guess Jordy's catching. So I walk out of the office. Right. And I saw, I walk by Pat and said, "Good luck." And he was like, "What?" <laughs> I don't know what happened. But somewhere in between, I got called back and said, "Okay, guess what? You're catching the ball. I just followed the game." And that's and that was it. So okay. I thought, I caught, and he didn't shake me up once. And he, but the difference was, he used his two-seam a little bit more, he got a head in the camera, right. and he didn't have to throw the ball in the and, and before we get back to game four, obviously, one more thing from that game five, that Paul O'Neill catch. You're catching. Okay, who, who hit that? Was it Peloni's Peloni? So when that comes off the bat, and the game time run was on second, but not the second. Yep. When that comes off the bat, do you think there's any chance Paul gets that ball? I did. You did? I thought it was hit right at him. Really? Yeah. I, what I didn't realize is that uh, where he was placed before the pitch, and I was like, Cardinal now moved him over into that ball. And but when I saw it hit, I could see that it was going at him, and I thought he had a pretty good, I didn't realize he ran as good as he did. I was like a wide receiver catching one on the run. But, uh, but it was funny because, I hit the home run right before I'm Warriors, second best pitch. Right. And the first five pitches he threw to Louie, he was fouling them off, 
and tell them what they throw a curveball. Oh boy. And I went out to the mound and said, Are you sure? What? And he said, I want to go to the curve. I said, No. I go, You're not getting beat. You're just like the best pitch. Like Warren did. Right. Yeah. And he was like, Okay. <laughs> Even I was just talking, we just did a show together. We were just talking about that moment. Like, when you saw the play out, come up, I went up and I patted him and said, That's why you don't want that. Because by then, the winning round was on third base. Right. You're right. So. Alright, so let's rewind a little bit to game four. This is the game that not even Yankee fans, just baseball fans remember game four of the 1996 World Series. This was your first at bat ever against Mark Wall. First. Now, before we have you ever talked to him post like since your career's ended about why he threw that slider? Two funny stories. One, yes. I ran into him, and he was a New York Yankee. Okay, yeah, I remember that. I remember playing the Florida Marlins. For a hot minute. Uh-huh. In fact, the Florida Marlins, down in, down in Miami, Florida. Uh-huh. And I went to the game with my kids, and I came early to go down to the locker room to see the guys. And I'm telling you, Chris, it was the craziest thing. I'm walking in the locker room, and he's walking out. And I see him, and it's just like, hey, how you doing? <laughs> I walk in, and I forget who it was, but somebody said, that would be awkward. <laughs> I said, for him more than this for me. And uh, that was the first time. And then, fast forward to a few years ago, my best man in my life, Mike Murphy, it's my best man in my life, calls me up and says, hey, guess who my kid's going to school? He doesn't know that. Mark Bowler's kid. He goes, should I say something? <laughs> I said, yeah, go ahead. So he talked to me a little bit. And he said to Walter, he said, why don't you and Jimmy go do a tour like everybody else has and make some money? And he went there. Wow. Went there. Really? Yeah, so wow. I think he took a little bit of But you know what, though? That's a competitor. Oh, yeah. I, I, I respect that. Somebody can't. Well, it took, it took accuracy a little while to do the thing to get That was a tough one, too. Yes. All right, so let's go through that at back. He threw you three sliders, the third one you obviously parked, and he threw you two fastballs, and I, I think they were 98. No? Well, he threw me fastball first pitch, right? I fouled it back, two sliders for balls, right? Fastball, I fouled back again. Is that why you think you went back to the slider because you were timing the fastball? I think I think he thought I was ready. And so he went with the slider in the next pitch, and I just barely fouled it off. And I still think, that, again, if I ever sat down and talked to him, I'd ask him. Yeah. But I, what I did is I knew as a catcher, if I was catching, the next pitch is a fastball in. And I was going to say, right, that's what I would pitch. That's what he thought. He was going to so call I took a half a step off the plate. Okay. And I think, and I don't know, because I never talked to him, uh -huh. but I think what he saw in Eddie Gress saw is that that much of the plane on the outside opened up. And so if they can go back there and get it down, they can get me out. Right. And I think they're trying to build even a better one. Get it a little bit tighter and hung it. And that's why I was in the And thus, at the track, at the wall, we are tied 6-6 six, six in the end. Yeah, Joe, and, and you, you had to talk about the calls. Joe Buck, to this day, I saw Joe a few years later. And he said, thank you for making my career. He did. And I said, what do you mean? Like, oh, I didn't know this, but it was the first World Series yes. he had done. Yes. And that was became his signature call. And he's like, Thanks for this guy. I don't believe what I just saw. Yeah. That was a tremendous call with Gibson, too. Yeah. You know, one of my favorite baseball memories was sitting talking to Vince Sully. He told me that whole story about how Gibson wasn't ready, he was hurt, he was in the clubhouse, he wasn't even dressed. 
and they told him to get dressed in the sixth inning, came out, using a bat for a cane. You're talking about one of the best relievers in the history of baseball, and Dennis Eckersley. Would anybody expect that? And that's what makes that call so quintessential. It's unbelievable. But back to you. <laughs> it's, it's, it's those moments when they happen and how you react in the moment that makes the moment. Right. Right. Well, you know what it is? It's, it's, it's one of those things that you know, people always say, how did you, and I kid lucky death, and I kid basically, I just jam this, and Aaron do them all the time. And I just, anything to do it once. <laughs> I've done a few times, and I did it even more. See what I mean? Yeah. But the one thing that you know, people always ask, how did you, how did you do well in those moments? And I said, you know what? I don't know why, but for some reason, when the moment became better, I slowed things down. And I don't know why, but I was always talking as a kid. And I think those people, people always talk to me as little kids. So listen, if you are three for three, and you get a fourth at bat again, don't try to hit a home run. Go forth and forth because that might be your last effect. That might be your last chance. Yeah. And you know what? Take it back. And I think that's how I did most of my career. And when I got called up to the Yankees, and again, I was never an everyday player. If I didn't go three for three or two for two, I didn't play the next round. So to me, every attack meant something. And I think that's why, even in these biggest moments, I was able to slow down and say, you know what? It's just another attack. It prepared you. It prepared you for those big moments. So, you know, the way everything went for you, from the broken foot, from that problem, to the time you hit those big home runs, you know, in Atlanta, at Yankee Stadium, um, you just have to look back in your career and say, you know what, everything happened for a reason. Everything molded me for those moments to shine. And you did. I mean, it's unbelievable. Some guys, they just want one moment. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you have multiple. Yeah, we're not saying a lot. We're still with that organization, too. Well, I've met a lot with the Yankees, and then, of course, when it happened in San Diego, again, it's kind of like, I went to George Arias and the Dodgers. Mm -hmm. I hit the home run against Billy Ryder and I tied that Right. Off the foul pole. Yeah. Off the foul pole. And uh, I just remember sitting down next to George Arias, and he goes, how do you do it? <laughs> And I said, just don't look me up. <laughs> I just, I just, I, I don't know. And it just multiplied after that. And what's what Bob Costa said, you know, you can send Jim Harris anywhere you want in the spring and summer, bring him back for October. And I was like, I know. And you know, it's funny because that, that was a great story too, because in 99, the Padres traded me back with our boat in hand. And literally, the Yankees traded for me because I kind of, with the call now tampering. <laughs> um, I got a little, I was, I was on a rehab assignment for my hand to show that I could swing the bat. And the Boston Red Sox called Kevin Towers up and said to Kevin Towers, we want to trade for Jim Harris. And when Kevin Towers called me up to Jimmy, we had a possible trade for the Red Sox. I said, this is Kevin, can you give me 24 hours? And he said, why? I said, because, give me 24 hours. And he said, okay. So I called up the one of them, Debbie Wilson, the biggest book of the Yankees. And I said, Debbie, you need to get to Mr. Schneider. They're trying to train me back to the Red Sox. And after my bad experience in 98, right. I didn't want to go back right away. And sure enough, 24 hours later, I got traded to the New York Yankees. And I showed up. And I think the only person that was surprised was Joe Dorton. Mr. Steinbrenner did this without even telling anybody and got me there. And that's how I came back in 99. But the joke about the home run 
Whereas if you watch the home run replay and you see him coming in the dugout, you see Tino, Nalbon, and Tito like laughing and joking. Well, when I got traded back, if you remember in the 96 in those days, they all celebrated and I used to have home run contests. Very bad about it because we didn't suck. Yeah. And I used to hit the ball as far as there. When I got traded back after breaking my hand, I couldn't hit a home run. Even bad about it. And Jeter and Alpock, they would rag out of the home run. And I didn't hit a home run the whole time. And I told Jeter, don't worry. In the moment's right, I'll hit a home run. And I said, I'll be here. And sure enough, I hit the home run. The game, the last home run this century. I hit the home run as I'm coming around the bases. The first thing he does is Jeter goes, I don't believe it. <laughs> and, that was, and that was it. That was the story. Let's go back to 96. Uh, another question. It's actually a statement. And, and it's something that everybody knows. But looking back at it now, and now that they're all in the Hall of Fame, the fact that your team, not once in 96, but twice in 96 and 99, went through Maddox, Lavin, and Smoltz. And in 96, it was even harder because you guys were down to nothing. Yeah. And you came back and you beat pretty much in my lifetime that I can remember the best pitching rotation top to bottom in Major League Baseball. Steve Avery could have been a number one or two starter on a lot of teams in the league in those days. Benny Nagel, four. Benny Nagel was, was a good pitcher in 99. Well, and, and again, like you said, those guys are in the Hall of Fame. Right, you know, it, it is it is amazing. You know, again, the thing I like about it is every time first guys get interviewed, look what gets brought up. So, uh, the Yankees weren't there. <laughs> but you guys have won a few more World Series. And it was funny because we just did an audience in January. And as I was leaving, I was sharing a car with John Smoltz. And it was, it was almost the guy that took a picture of the two of us together made a little joke on Twitter about it saying, I wonder what that car ride is like. <laughs> you know, and it, it was funny because John and I did talk about it. And that's the one thing he was saying. He was charting the game. And when he saw Eddie Perez come down sliders, he was screaming from inside the locker room, Don't go, that bitch! Don't go! And he threw it. And of course, it's just I did, I did the numbers, too. Games 1 through 6 in 96, the starters, Maddox, Smokes, Glavin, Nagel, 150 ERA. You guys, as you did most of the time that year in the team in 1998 when you were the Padres, it seemed like every time the starter was bounced out of the game, and the bullpen came in, we, my friends and I, who are watching the game, would, would start doing. Here comes the circus. We're coming back. It doesn't matter. Here comes the bullpen, and you guys were just like Johnny on the spot coming back. The bullpen in that series had a 7.56 ERA. It was only over two or three games, I think, that you got you got all those runs. But my goodness. Well, if you remember back then, it started in '95. It went down to right. Rick really preached patience. And really, that's where it started. And really preached about let's get let's work the starter, the pitch count, to get him out of the game because the bullpen were usually back then weaker. Yeah, you had your good closer, but usually the guys in between were guys that usually weren't good enough to be on the staff, and so it was easier as far as what we thought. Then Chris Chalice came, and Chris kind of re-emphasized that. You know, again, working the count, trying to get the starter out of the game because we truly did feel that there was not any bullpen that we couldn't beat. And that if, 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 if the opposite of our team, we knew if we got to the, if we had a starter got to the 16, that we had a chance to win 
because our bullpen is so strong. The other thing is, you look at that Braves team, not only do they have Lavin, Smoltz, Maddox, who are all in the Hall of Fame as I mentioned, 14 out of 15 years, they're winning the NL. They were, they were, uh, at least, I'm sorry, just dominant. And they only have one World Series to show for in 95 against the Indians. And they went to what, five, five series in that time? Yeah, five, five series? Five. Philly, Philadelphia Eagles. Buffalo Bills. Jack Philadelphia Eagles. Pick your bad sports team that gets to it. But I can't mention the Jets. They don't get there. <laughs> but that is a team, as you said, with, with a Hall of Fame top three in their rotation. All three of those guys are Hall of Famers. Mark Rollers was one of the better closers in Major League Baseball in the late 1990s. Andrew Jones played for 17 years in the baseball, also a Yankee at the end of his career. They had the Ron Dance and David Justices and the Chipper Jones at the, yeah, at the end of the 90s. Walt Weiss. And just Terry Pendleton. Go on and on and on and on with all these great players. And they, again, that's why you never take it for granted. They had won. 1995. What was the reaction in the dugout on the bench when that was called the ball? Uh, it, it was we were furious. I mean, it was because you had that angle. Like this call, besides that call, your first bench in Kansas City Park. Besides that call, 85. Yeah, to me, it was the most blatant call missed because it was so obvious. But, I mean, it, it was hard. It was hard because we were so in shock because Kevin Brown started that game. Right. Food was. Wow, I didn't know Yeah, and he tried to go out to the fifth inning, the sixth inning, and I remember him, he was literally thrown up in the back of the mound, like leaning down, he was in He was in between every inning, he was going up. And he tried to go out to the fifth inning, or the sixth inning, and he just couldn't get past the back. And we brought him down the wall, and he hit the knob the three, and all that time and all So we were still in shock from that. But we still thought they'd be a chance And then the bases were loaded. That pitch comes in and the team makes a grand slam. And I was like, okay, this isn't going to be. This team is a team of death. And we'll be lucky just to get back. But after he hits the home run, he rounds the bases and kind of calms down a little bit. Are you getting on the home plate? Oh, we were screaming in the Well, because by that, especially me, because I was the agent. Right. So I got to just let in. You know, look at them replay and then run back out and tell Bochy. That, that was going. That was a good game. Oh, the other day, 95, Donnie's home run, your home run, Girardi's triple of 96. What was louder? Uh, between, I had to put Girardi. My home run was loud, Girardi's triple and Matty's home run, decimal wise, were pretty similar. That's the first time I thought it was shit. Really? Like, in the dugout. Oh yeah, in the dugout. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was crazy. It was crazy. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks, I appreciate it. Put that one! Anyway, moving on. So, let me ask you, let me ask you, let me say, ask one more thing about 1998. You know, you've been with the Yankees for seven and a half years. Uh, from, you know, the minor leagues is why I didn't do that. I love you, what you said. Now it's your first year 
elsewhere. You get to the World Series against them. What was, I don't want to say what was going through your mind, but you know, this is an organization you've known for your entire baseball career, and now here you are on the grandest stage of, of baseball against them two years after you put them on. <laughs> right, right. It was, well, it was different. I mean, again, I, I, I kind of made a joke about it because a lot of the guys in Sadie Abel have never been to Yankee Stadium. Tony Gwen, I was just first to kind of Yankee Stadium. This is well before you. Yeah, so yeah. yeah. So they all talked about me, you know, what would you expect? What I said, listen, expect the worst because you know, I, I warned the guys in the bullpen. I told the guys in the bullpen, like, what's it like? I said, I'll give you an example. Jeff Nelson, who's one of my good friends. He played for the Seattle Mariners in 95. He got traded to us in 96. The story he told about trying to warm up in the bullpen in 95, he literally could not warm up because they were throwing beers on him. They were throwing batteries at him. They were throwing all these things at him. And he looked up the security guard and said, aren't you going to do anything about this? And the security guard goes, nope, I'm a Yankee fan. <laughs> that's what it was like playing in Yankee Stadium. And there was a fear. And I think that's kind of what the project team you know, after we lost that first game, they were all like, okay, at least we got to the World Series. We're not going to beat these guys. You know, this, this was the team. And again, there was a player, Tony Grimm, who, over his illustrious Hall of Fame career, two World Series. Yeah. His first, first year, first year, and I did. Yeah. Well, that's why you get like you said, you got that appreciation for just getting there. What's, what's a major accomplishment? I always, I always joke that because people said, well, what's the difference playing in New York and playing in San Diego? And listen, I love San Diego. I look down there. The difference between playing in New York and San Diego is we lost the World Series in San Diego, and we still had a parade. <laughs> we still had a parade in San Diego. What's the closest San Diego that's come to a championship? Well, exactly. That's yes. what it was. Yes. <laughs> you know, and, and we got a new stadium that year, and that's where they had a party. But there was a, such a great feeling they wanted to have this parade. And I remember with my wife and my two kids in the car going down and going, if this is New York, we'd be having stuff thrown. It's with my celebration. There'd be people waiting for the second one touchdown. Yeah, they could yell at you. Exactly. So it was a little bit different. That's a weird juxtaposition. From Cleveland, you live in San Diego, two towns of humongous title drives, and you're being your name in New York. A fistful of. Yeah. Let me just reset what's going on here tonight. I just want to make everybody aware. Signer Sports and Collectibles is in the back. Uh, Jackie, if you could wait for me. Jackie. Hi, Jackie. She is running the silent auction for us back there. There's a lot of good memorabilia. You have a sports fan in your life. You want to check that out. Of course, former Yankee, former Padre, former Ranger, former a lot of teams. Jim Lairitz is up here with us. And he's reminiscing about... His Yankee career, Yankees World Series victories, and of course his huge home run, which I had the opening bid on that, that picture back there. I don't know if I'm going to get it because I'm a landlock, but I hope I get it. Jackie, am I still on top? I am. Nice. So I have Jackie looking out for me back there. All right. Uh, along with Lou DePietro, I am Chris Sheard. We are from the Yes Network. Uh, this is the Chris Sheard Show, which is every week on YesNetwork.com and iTunes Podcast. You can get everything for free, 99. All right, now that we've reset, do you want to do if and then? Let's do a little if then. This is a new segment that we're debuting here at World of Beer in New Brunswick on the Christian Show. It's called. a great Broadway play. Call, really? If then? With Dina Menzel. I went watching Miss Frozen herself? Yes. Does John Travolta know that? 
We don't know how to say it. <laughs> um, so we're going to debut this year. I, I got it from my computer programming class in middle school with Mr. Lobby. All right. We had to write programs with if-then statements. So here we go. The first one from me. We're in the future. We're in the present now, but we're looking towards the future. If the Yankees stay healthy, Jim Larrys, then they have a chance to make the playoffs. But can they get to the World Series? Staying healthy all year long. And CC Sabathia staying healthy. If Tanaka and CC Sabathia is at 30 stops, all right, all right. Lou, you're next. Let's go to one of the doomsday scenarios of that game. <laughs> if Masahiro Tanaka does not get through the entire season healthy, then it could be a long year. If, if, if him and CC can't, like, again, I think it's the starting rotation of those two guys. If they can't get to 30 starts, if they only give us 15, 20 starts, then I think it could be, it could be a long season. But here's what I will say. Because if that and but. <laughs> we have to add a but. Yeah, the but of it is if an Andy Pettit or a Sterling Hitchcock or one of these guys that we don't expect anything from steps up and becomes that new Andy Pettit or that new Sterling Hitchcock, this could be a good surprise to you that one of those kind of guys could help step in that and really still give him a chance to make Worst case scenario, are we looking at a 1990 record or are we looking somewhere like if Masahiro, worst case, Tanaka goes down, CeCe can't give you 30 starts, are you looking at a 69 to 75 win team? I don't think so. I think you're looking more, you know, somebody asked me the other day, what would you compare the team that you have right. to this team now? And they wanted me to say 1990s because that's when all the young kids finally got a chance. Right. And started to get a chance. And I said, no, you know, I would put this team with the players that are on it, the talent that they have, right around the 93 team. Where with the 93 team, it was, are you going to be going up? Right. Or is it going to be one of those kind of, you know, those maybe 500 years? And of course, there was 1994, which Yankee fans yeah. all lived for. They were 70 and 43. But I think that's where this team is. And then a strike happened. Yeah. I think that's where this team is. I think it's. It's right there where if they can get one or two of these young kids to step up, uh, you know, it's okay. Don't remind me of the summer of 94. My mom wouldn't let me skip the last day of school to go to the parade for uh, the range. <laughs> Saving grace to 1994 with that the was, Rangers winning yes. the Stanley Cup. And I drank that. Did you really? That's the A.H. Nice. That's a great, that's another one. Oh, Jim Larrett. And the Rangers are doing well this year, too. Yes. That's something we can both agree on, correct? Well, last time they won the President's Trophy. I know, they won the Stanley Cup. Yeah. And another one of the most iconic sports calls of all time in that year. What? When uh, Mr. Howie Rose. Yeah. And the Rangers have one more hill to climb, baby. Vancouver. It's Mount Vancouver. Mateau, Mateau, Mateau. All right, here's my next one. Okay. If you weren't a Major League Baseball player, then... Well, I would say I would have loved to be a country music artist. Really? Who's your favorite country music? Garth Brooks. Okay. Garth, Garth was with us in spring training in 99 with the Padres. Okay. Had a chance to meet him. He guys a pretty good athlete. I remember that. He, did, he took me yeah, well, he actually he played in some spring training. He did. I remember that. Yes, absolutely. And, uh, but, but he did a video for me of standing outside the fire to all of my video clips. And it was, I, I still get these guys to talk about it. Oh, yeah. But, it, but the one thing that I'll tell you, that really set him apart was 
every day on the street journey, that guy stayed for two and a half hours and signed every single autograph for every fan that was there. And that to me showed me, you know what? That guy's got a lot. He's not doing this just because he wants you know, the publicity in his life. He is a true gentleman guy. He put on an impromptu concert for all the families at the end of the training room at the ballpark. I mean, and it, again, when you walked into the ballpark, there'd be mornings, he'd be playing on his guitar for all the guys in the clubhouse. And you would think you were listening to the radio. He was that good. <laughs> I, I have a, I have a big Garth Brooks fan. Oh boy. Personal to me. Which is why I am also a very big Garth Brooks fan. Uh, going back a few years before that, 1992. I was 12 years old. <laughs> I was, I did some acting work when I was a child. I was, you know, in a handful of commercials and various things. And I got a, I got booked as an extra on Saturday Night Live. In a sketch with John Goodman where he was playing a sperm doctor who was, uh, Accused of inseminating like 75 of his own patients himself as a you know, so, so, so SNL makes a sketch out of it. And this is the heyday of SNL, like the Chris Farley, Chris Rock. Oh yeah. Of SNL. So Garth Brooks is a musical guest that, that night. And the hallways of Studio 88 and 30 Rock are like about as wide as this table if they're lucky. And my mom is backstage, she's, you know, she's with me for the day. And he was rushing to a rehearsal or a soundtrack or something, and like Garth Brooks' entourage pretty much stampedes my mom in the hall. So my mom's just like, you know, what, what just happened? You know, she doesn't know really who Garth Brooks is. You know, she's not, not hit that over. So our sketch airs in the first half hour of the show or so, first 30 minutes of the show. And uh, I'm standing backstage with my mom afterwards, you know, we're still able to watch the show and whatever. And one of Garth's reps comes up and says, man, you were, you were in the hallway earlier, you know, Garth wanted to apologize, blah, blah, Brings us out to the side of the stage, like right, you know, right there and say, as he does rodeo. Oh, on SNL, and we get to watch him, and afterwards he came off stage and, like, personally apologized to my mother for his entourage stampeding her in the hallway. That's not true. And, uh, and like, you know, she's like, you know, this is my son, he's on a sketch earlier, blah, 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 and got to chat with Garth Brooks for 30 seconds. Yeah. That was enough to make me a huge fan of his, right? And his music's pretty good, so it worked that well. And the people, yeah, the people who get that are the people that succeed. Exactly. I, I truly believe that. 30 seconds to sign an autograph, 30 seconds to do this, 30 seconds to just smile at somebody, or just turn and wave or nod and acknowledge them. Yeah. That kid will take that with him for the rest of his life. My, my father told me a story he's right there. He used to go to Connie Mac Stadium with my grandfather, my uncle, good brothers, they're talking about anything, thanks for us. But he used to go to Connie Mac Stadium, he can't do it either, he's definitely one of uh, When he was 12 years old, and this is one of my favorite stories about baseball on the planet. Paid 50 cents, sat wherever he wanted to sit, sits on the third baseline. Who's playing third base that day? Jackie Robinson. Who comes over and talks to a 12-year-old Bill Sheeran? Jackie Robinson, in between innings. If you think for a nanosecond that would happen today, I mean, maybe one or two guys here and there, but think about everything Jackie went through, everything that he did for baseball. And here's this little 12-year-old kid, and you said 12 years old, that's what sprang to me, remember? Goes over and talks to my father for a half an hour, in between innings. That's tremendous. Well, did you have any experience with well, well, Pete Rose? Yeah, you know? Well, no, actually, Johnny Bench. Johnny Bench? Uh, I was an 11-year-old kid, I went to spring training with, with Mark, the county brother, and 
And we were the young kids, and the airport seasons were on sports. Wow. Yes. And yeah, I'm dating myself. Rudy Rudiger said this back there. Exactly. Yeah, you know what? I saw it the day he decided I was excited. Really? Yes, I did. And uh, I took a picture of it. Of course, it was a proud moment for yes. me. Yes. it was. We were, uh, we were down there at the kids, and they came down to shoot a segment on hitting and catching. And Pete Gross was doing the hitting, and Johnny Patrick was doing the catching. And Pete picked Tommy to do the hitting, and Johnny picked me to do the catching. I never, I was never a catcher, I never played catcher. It was just when I had big kids stand there, and I the kids to kind of right. show all the things. We take the whole segment, we get done with it. Johnny comes up to me after, he goes, hey, you a catcher? And I said, no, I've been a center field and shortstop all the time. I go, I, go, I put some of your shortstop and said, yeah, you picked up those drills pretty quick. He said, you got to think about being a catcher. And I was like, ah, you know, and he goes, hey, it's the quickest way to the big leagues. I said, yeah, I, yeah. I was like, I could tell you, dude, I was five inches. He took out his club, signed it, and said, maybe this will change your life. Wow, wow, wow. I went out that night and looked at my bed and the catcher's voice. <laughs> and it was great back then because, listen, they had the orange things on the side. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So it was a special club. Target, absolutely. Yeah. And I told my dad that night, I'm going to become a catcher. And that was it. And it was so funny. About 2006, I'm doing a Legends game. And Johnny Bats happened to be there. Now, Johnny and I had never really seen each other before that. And Johnny did my career. Right. Something like that. But we, I, we, we saw each other. And I said, thank you. And he's like, thank you for what? I said, you don't realize that you are the reason I became a catcher. And he's like, what are you talking about? I said, so he, but he can't even remember because uh, I said, airport season to one of squats. And he was like, that you were that kid? And I'm like, yes, I was. Wow. And, that was, that's, and that's why for me, Chris, I never, ever, one of the things that Yankee fans loved about me is I lived in the city, I took the subway. Right. I was always, part of them. I always sat on the cart and I uh-huh. walked up and signed me up there. Because I knew that at any moment that could, could change over. a kid's that could change a kid's life. And that moment could be over for you. Too. Exactly. There's that one kid out there that's Jim, you know, his favorite Yankee is Jim Larrett's and you sign that autograph for him and it makes his life. Oh, you know, there's so many kids that run into the city, twenty five year olds, twenty four year olds that come up to me go. And I was six. You took me out on the field by the tarp and you took a picture with me and that's when I became a Yankee fan. I'm like that's, that's just the things that you That's what I'm talking about. I mean, that one, yeah, that one moment, that, that one nanosecond of being acknowledged by, you know, a star, uh, a person you look up to. It doesn't even have to be the 25th guy in the bench. It doesn't matter who it is. If somebody does that for a child, it, it's miles and miles of adoration for you. It's unbelievable. I have uh, I have one more. I was a shortstop in the Memphis physique. Believe that, but uh, I was a shortstop. You let yourself go. I have. Then I became a catcher when I got to get mobile to play shortstop. <laughs> um, my last tip then for you is, is about a, another number thirteen and another third baseman as we've been on that thing. If Alex Rodriguez has a monster season, then. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to envision him having that kind of a season. <laughs> um, you know what? I saw a row with a 15 year old kid. The kid had more talent. He, he does have a ton of talent. With that, with that being said, uh, if he has a good year, you know, people, people tend to forget. People tend to say, you know, okay, he's not using 
he's that talented and still good enough to play. Uh, it doesn't make up maybe for some of the other things that have happened, but as far as the ball player, rooting for him as a Yankee fan, I think you know, I was there on the day and cheering pretty good. Yeah. If he does well, you know what? You can cheer him. Uh, at the same time, you hope that through tragedy and through what he went through, that people change. People, people you know, and speaking on my, my own side, you give somebody a second chance. Okay. And, and you know what? If he's been humbled by this, then I think A-Rod could be a different person. I don't know that. I haven't seen him. I haven't spoken to him. I know what his actions have been in the past, and he hasn't been such a humble guy. Hopefully, maybe this situation has, and maybe he's going to turn it around, and he can make fans of him. All right, if Meredith Morakovitz had a whip, she would be Indiana Jones right now. Yes, yes. <laughs> I, but I got nipped down. Oh, yeah, yeah, of course. I got nipped down because you guys probably don't know this. <laughs> if in 1997, the New York Yankees, they could trade that they had completed with the Texas Rangers. For a certain catcher. Oh. Because I was trained from Anaheim to the Texas Rangers to become their starting catcher. There was a young catcher in New York. That, and if you remember Pudge Rodriguez saying when he came home, I was in I almost came here years ago. Pudge Rodriguez was being traded to the New York Yankees for Lori Posada. Wow. And I always tell the Yankee fans, listen, I had a big home run in 96, I had a great game in you know, home run in 99. Thank me for the trade <laughs> that was never made because guess who answered the question? Yeah. If Jorge Posada gets traded in 97, do we have the dynasty? I don't know. I, I, honestly, I, honestly, I don't think don't they were interchangeable parts. I think each one of them. Yeah, yeah. That, that's the. I already told people that. Yeah, to you for the trade. Because as soon as I showed up in Texas, Pudge realized they were trading. And he didn't want to leave. And as soon as I showed up, it was one of those typical situations, like you just said, when, when you go up, when do I give up? <laughs> I get up. I've been there many oh times. <laughs> I get off the plane to Texas. I get off the plane to Texas. I get my angel bag off the top. And I walk into the airport. And the guy with security goes, Hey, did you hear the good news? I'm like, Yeah, I got changed the Texas. He's like, No, punch just three sides. And I'm like, You gotta be kidding me. I walk into Johnny Oates' office, and Johnny Oates, We had the deal done. Posada was coming here. You were gonna be the son of Texas. You were gonna run to Posada. So, and now, you're gonna be a surprise the first place you go what can I tell? So you were sent down again to run third base. Well, I always tell everybody, I've always been the cranger to somebody else's <laughs> I always been cranger. That's why we're friends, Mr. Lairitz. That's why we get along so well. Um, I, have, <laughs> I have one more if then, and then I want to get Danielle up here and talk to her about her charity really quick, and then we can wrap this up for the nice little bow and move on to the Yankees and the Blue But my last if then is, if you were a betting man, then these two teams, if everything breaks right, would be playing in October for those. If I was a betting man, I wasn't going to say it. See, I wasn't going to say it. I thought it, but I wasn't going to say it. And I would only bet on my team to win. Later it said it. I would only bet on my team to win, so it wouldn't be a bad bet. <laughs> well, it's, it's, almost, it's almost a weird thing right now, too, with what you're saying with Jared Coza. Oh, yeah. About the same thing. Yeah. He's looking for possible, yeah. possible yes. betting. Yeah. If I was a betting man, 
and New York Yankees so healthy. Right. I think they're in the post. Wow. I think they're in the post. How about, how about National League? What do you like about that? You have to love Washington yeah. on paper. Absolutely. I will go this. If, Bar if uh, Harvey, Another if, if Harvey stays healthy, uh -huh. then I think they can match up a chance. Wow! Wow! There, there has been a lot of talk, and it's it's funny that it, it was the beat writer, the Yankees beat writer for the Journal of the Year, the article, wondering if New York could become a Mets town in 2015 because it was close last year with their records. They won 79 games versus 84, and this year, you know, if some things go wrong on one side, some things go right on the other. You never know what happens. A lot of people think the Mets. This is now the time. Yeah, I think Harvey's the key because you know what. With him being back and looking as good as he did today, uh, I think it, it, the excitement keeps that team going. I think another huge thing was Michael Canale coming in with with David Wright to get David Wright more of a, a, a presence on the team. And they're I'm saying, you give him some support right, right, right. as a presence, that's going to change that upper room that's been a problem in the past. And again, who knows? But to say, if both those teams stay out, we could have a new kid in the 2007. Wow. And you see, McBride is two years away from the batting title in Colorado. Oh, yeah. And so yeah. last year a lot. Yeah. But then you see the things that they play going up to Noah Syndergaard in this country. He's eating lunch. Right. You know, but this is just like, yeah, this, this isn't how we do for us. Yeah. It's a different role over there. The captain being a captain. Right. It's a different culture over there than many people may think. Just kind of think of the Mets as, as the joke of the, oh, yeah. the butt of the joke on the other side of town. It's not so much like that. All right, and you got to realize Terry Collins, of course, has that, you know, Napoleon kind of presence. <laughs> he's little, but he gets his, his point across. And, you know, it'll be an interesting, like I said, it's going to be an interesting season, I think, for both teams. We'll have, we'll have to have Doug come on uh, if that happens. Oh, yeah. And, uh, oh, yeah. Definitely. And he can rub it in. All right, Danielle, why don't you come on up here and kick Lou off the stage? Sorry, Lou. <laughs> And uh, we'll talk to Daniela. Everybody give Daniela all of the round of applause, please. Thank you very much for the Podcast. Daniela is a 12-year-old who uh, runs her own charity called Daniela's Wish. There is information up here on the stage. You can come up and thank you, Jim. You can come up and take a pamphlet and a card. Uh, Daniela, I'm not gonna I started talking about Jim's charity when he should be describing what he did. So I'm just going to let you uh, hit here. You're in the on deck circle and you're walking up to the plate. What's your charity all about? When I was seven, I'm watching an earthquake when when earthquake was busy. And I wanted to help the kids there. So I put boxes in local businesses. And I wanted to put a thousand box cookies and do how to do experiments for them. And that was when I was seven. And then when the, when the hurricane hit New Jersey, when I was around 10, I put boxes in rooms again. And I wanted to put in 3,000 books for schools and libraries there. I did from there, and now I get into old children, or students of the graduates. I have partnership with three hospitals, Mount Medical, Dirty Shore, and Sunny State. And I want to get in new hospitals as we grow. And Robert Lou Johnson here in New Brunswick, you're hoping to be with them soon, right? Yes. Um, now, you work with the kids in the hospitals. Uh, we actually had a mutual person that we knew, Jake Tank. Yes. Uh, and you helped him, you took him to a Lakewood uh, Blue Claws game. What's it like when you're able to put a smile on these kids' faces in the hospital? It feels 
really like mixed emotions because it's happy and sad at the same time. Alright, uh, what's your favorite moment, like giving something to one of these kids? Do you have a favorite moment that you have from, from your past doing this? Um, when we go in hospital, sometimes the kids are like crying, and then we walk there, and then we're like smiling, and then we feel happy. Like that's... That, that makes sense, yeah. Well, tell everybody where they can donate, what your website is, and your your charity works through donations completely, correct? Yes. So it's under the goodness of everybody's heart donating to your website. So tell everybody where they can go to, to donate. Yeah. Um, my website is www.daniellaswish.org and Danielle is with one L. One L. Danielle with one L. And you can do it on your smartphones, by the way. Uh, I know everybody has their heads buried in them uh, every day, so... Just do that, daniellaswish.org. You're here with your mom, Sheila. Uh, we appreciate you coming down. You work with Monmouth Medical Center, Jersey Shore Medical Center, and Central State uh, Medical Center. And, and just so the people know, I mean, you're 12 years old. You started this when you were seven. Yes. You've done more, probably, in five years of your young life than most people do for charity their entire life. So, this has to make your mother extremely proud of you. How does your family react to this thing that you started? Um, they support it and they they like it a lot. And well, let me ask you a question. How many? How many do you have you inspired some other girls or other people with you and, and working with you also? That's just something that you do with us. Um, I have friends and I have a board of nine people, so they help me out a lot. And plus my family, they're always supporting and doing a lot of stuff. So you're the CEO. Yes. That's pretty cool. That's pretty heavy. A 12-year-old CEO. But I look great. Thank you. Yeah, that's true. That's amazing. Danielle, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for coming with your mom. We appreciate it. Thank you for having me. No, no problem. It is my pleasure. Once again, just so everybody knows, and come up and get a pamphlet. Come up and get a card. Uh, if the website is on here, I'll say it one more time. It's www.daniellaswish.com. Another round of applause for Danielle Alt, everybody. Thanks for coming here. Thank we appreciate it. Come on back up there, Mr. DePietro. Danielle, thank you so much. Great job. All right, just a couple more questions on, you know, the Yankees this year, Mr. Lawrence. Uh, we've talked about the pitching staff. You can't judge a team on the first two games. This is a marathon, it's not a sprint. But the offense, I mean, that was the most unconventional win last night oh, yeah. that I've ever seen in my Yankee you know, fan career. Uh, but a win is a win is a win, as we all know. But this offense has to rebound from, from last year. Brian McCann has had a better year. Carlos Beltran has to have a better year. Can't get hurt. I mean, it's not just the rotation that has question marks. It's this lineup as well. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, with, you know Kevin Long had a great run here. But I think it got to a point where I kind of reminded of all the ladies in the old days. Okay. But you try to get everybody to kind of buy into the same type of swing, same type of setup, same type of everything else. And it works for some people, it doesn't work for them. And I think some of these guys, like Teixeira, and Kayan, you know, can shift them like this. I know. You know, I, I, I know, but let me just go through a night. Right. And we used to just, we, we were talking to each other, we're like, 
with these shifts. I mean, literally, when I went to bat, I would look at the end of the okay, where's the pick and roll? I'm going to try to hit the ball that way. Thank you! That, that was something that he was supposed to do as a hitter. And Ryan McCann did try to butt on opening day yeah, yeah. against the shift. He did, but that's not what Jim's talking about. And my father yells at me constantly for this. Because some announcers, and they'll remain nameless, because I, I don't want to get in trouble. But some announcers will say, oh, he fouled that pitch off on purpose. And this is my dad. And he says, if they could foul that pitch off on purpose, if they're that good, why can't they beat the show? I agree. And, and you know, there's only one hitter. To, to, there's only one hitter, and I can tell you, that did foul balls off on purpose. Who's that? Black Blue. Okay. He was that good. That I'll he give was you. That good. That I'll give you. I've heard that name before. He was pretty good baseball. He was my hitting guard through there. Yeah. He was my hitting coach in the And he used to tell me, he said, I used to fall off balls on this kind of stuff. I didn't want to take it. And I said, like, You were that good. You <laughs> were that good. That I could take, but it's the other things I can't. Uh, you got something? Yeah, I, I was going to say, you know, Chris Bryant is a situation we've talked about on, on this podcast a little bit. Um, I would, I would be remiss if I said anything but he was one of the best 25 players in Cubs team this spring. And yet he's in I Four homers, 15 rubies. How many more days? <laughs> Seven? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Only needs 11, 12 days in the minors. What do you think about situations like that where this is, you know, it, it is maybe the year of control you're going to get on him worth this verification that they're getting right now? It's a business. If you look at it from a business, you know, and it's the election. People told me you feel like told the Red Sox are crazy for hiring this young kid who you know, was all about numbers and you know, the same metrics and this team was crazy. And look what happened there. You know what? It, yes, it, it is a business. I understand it. Early, if it's only 10 days, maybe you go 3 and 3 or 3 and 7, or, you, know, you, you, you don't do that much. I don't think on a whole, Feel everything thinks this team is going to run away that division. But at the same time, I get the business side that says we get another year of control. Because you got to look at things. You know, look at Mike's friend, Giancarlo Stanton's contract. And he just got. If I could be, if I could control a guy for another year before I got to put out 325 million. You mean the Powerball? But let me ask you this. So let's say that Chris Bryant comes up the minute he's eligible and under a tree of control. And the Cubs have played 13 games and they go 8 and 5. They miss the wild card by one spot. And Chris Bryant hits, you know, 10 home runs in Iowa. Could have won in the game. This is, we're going back to the event. But if all this happens, if he missed the playoffs by one game, Chris Bryant wasn't there from the beginning, then what's going to be the reaction, whether it feels a waste kid or not? The reaction is going to be, what the heck, you guys had a chance, and it'll be the same thing the Washington National last year. You see him transferred? Okay, it was, a, it was a decision, they made it, they stuck with it, and that was the plan from the beginning. This was the plan that you have to have, that no matter what, you're going to have another year of control on this kid. If they do miss it by a game, the <laughs> 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 or the bathrooms being under construction. <laughs> well, the other thing I wanted to piggyback on what you said was the statement. They left 13 runners in scoring position on opening night. Brian gets a couple hits, maybe they win that game, and maybe they do get to the wild. I mean, it's just, it's a lot of hits, like I said. So we don't know what's going to happen with that. And Wrigley, half hour bathroom lines at Wrigley, go over to Ali. 
I'm missing a half hour of a baseball game. So you can't see the game. No! It's not like Yankee Stadium when it's so open. Right. You can see it from everywhere. And so much so that the city of Chicago had involved with looking into what went wrong <laughs> at Ridley Field. Uh, they turned the river green for St. Patrick's Day. The concourse is enough. Yes. I think, I think we're from inside here. It's a question, not question marks, but I think, you know, again, we need to find those two or three young kids that haven't been given a chance that steps up and says, okay, I'm ready. You know what, like you said, maybe CC Sabathia or Tanaka does go down and maybe a guy like Luis Severino comes up from Trent. Yeah, and again, let's go with this. Maybe a Russian, but maybe he comes up and he has a year like Sandy Let's go with this. Next year's the 20th year anniversary of the home run in 2016. That's when it all started. Maybe this is the big block for next year. Fred Bird. Well, I was saying, we're going to be in Trenton in a couple weeks. Oh, oh it's Fred Bird in the summer. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, Arizona. Pauly, that kid's special. That kid's going to be... There you go. He's going to be special. I told you. <laughs> I know. I, I believed you. Uh, and so is the... Uh, Aaron Judge. Aaron Judge. We, you know, they went to have nothing but good things to say about yeah, that. Yeah. I mean, you know, he is... I love the kid because working for a back company that I was working for, Tucci Humphrey, uh, we, I used to go to spring training and distribute the batches. I know Pete very well. Yeah, yeah Pete and I were teammates. Pete, and, and Pete played in my Connecticut league. Oh, really? He had to give up because he hurt himself. Yeah. Really when I was with me in 99 with the Padres, it was the whole story. He now, he now sponsors a team in my softball league. So I worked with Kitchen Humber for the last two years and to take his bat orders. And all of these kids are ordering these 33 and a half, 31s, 32 and a half. And I'm like, finally, this year, I went to Aaron, and he's like, I said, what kind of bat do you want? He's like, a 35, 33. Like, Thank you. <laughs> Somebody used a real bat again. And uh, I think that kid's going to be special. What did you use? I used a 35, 34. 35, 34. I, I probably would not be able to get that around. I have to be. And I don't feel we're going to 27-ounce softball bat around some days. My, the last year in my aluminum league, I had a negative 5 out of 34 29, which is not a legal in aluminum league. And I had a 34 30. That's what I got. So, 30 ounces. 35, not so. I can't wait to see this talent on display in Trenton when we do the uh, NASCAR softball game. <laughs> This is going to be a lot of fun. Lou and I, I don't know if we're on opposite teams or not, but they get invited us down to, to this NASCAR. It's Dale Earnhardt Jr. against Joey Logano on April 21st. And we're, you know, celebrities <laughs> uh, going down to play. A bunch of NASCAR media, Major League Baseball media from the area is going down to play. Mark DeRosa will be in from Italy. Yeah. 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 So that will be nice. So, Especially for Lou and I, who aren't really celebrities, but it'll be a nice day. You're, you're building your brand. We are. And that's, what we, and that's why we're here tonight, and that's why you're here helping me out, and I appreciate it. Maybe you know, 15 years from now, I'll give you a call and say the same thing Joe Buck said in 1996. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Or, or the whole uh, Johnny Bench moment, too. <laughs> All right, two more things for me to wrap this up really quick. Jimmy's going to stick around and sign autographs. Uh, and watch the Yankees and Blue Jays till 9 o'clock. We have the silent auction back there. That will end at 8 o'clock. So if you haven't gone back there, you have to check out the great stuff from Steiner Sports. Be sure to get there before you leave. Uh, some random fun before we let you go. Let's do it. Favorite baseball movie? I feel dreams. 
Build a dream. Okay, why? Just because, you know what, it's one of those things when you see it kind of catch your dad finally. It kind of, it kind of brings back to, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you something right now. Have you watched your dad? No. One of my parents is going, okay. Because I just want to watch it. I already played catch with mom. You did? <laughs> really? <laughs> and you called your dad when you got called up? What's that about? I put mom on the phone. My parents are right there. Okay? Mom and dad. My parents. Wait. But... I will be watching that movie, and my wife knows exactly when to come in the room. <laughs> and when he says, hey dad, you want to have a catch, I am Niagara Falls. And it's not like a full-out blown blubber. It's just, <laughs> and the tears are just running down my face. Because that, for every kid, for, and I thank you for getting the blubber picture when I made that face. Oh, I got a better one, though. Awesome. But anyway. It's that moment in that movie that, you know, every kid, pretty much every kid can relate to. And, and, and to see that, it doesn't matter. Every time it's on, I watch it. Yep. And every time I see it, I block it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. A week of their That's yours. At the end. Who's loose? It's only because of you and Oriana get to that all the time. Um, no, but in, same thing. In the end, when older Dottie is standing at Double Day Field, watching the, yeah. the, the girls play again, it's a good moment. We can only hope in life, I think, to, to have a moment like that, when you look back at something and you can remember, these were, these were the greatest days of my life. I'll meet you here when we're 80. <laughs> but then, you know what I mean? Like, we can only hope to look back one day when you're, you know, when you're in your early years and say, this, this was my playground. This was the time of my life. I get that too. Is that is that your favorite movie or is that your favorite moment? I, that's my favorite baseball movie. That's it. It's a similar moment like that with Field of Dream with you. That right. you know, and you know how much I love Major League. So to say something other than Major League, that's why I question And the Sandlot too, but yeah, you know, Sandlot's a good. When you when you look back, we can only hope it like that. A moment like that where we're standing somewhere and this is my court one more time. You know. Well, the isn't there anymore, is it? Nope. It's not going to be there anymore soon either. Yeah, there should be a plaque for that whole run. <laughs> we, we don't should put it there. The one painted seat in the effort. Yeah, you know, the interesting thing about the history of that stadium is the first one that I ever hit there was Joe Torrey. Wow. The last one that I hit there was me. Yeah. So it was kind of like two catchers. Yeah, two catchers. And the manager and the hero of the night. Yes, it, it all came together, full circle. The circle of life. That's the, it. Yeah, the lion king. Not the lion king. <laughs> the of the time. Anyway, my favorite baseball, I have a couple. The Sandlot is up there. Um, Bull Dorham is up there. But I gotta go with Major League. And here's why. Because in 1997, I was working for NBC. I went to the World Series, tried Marlins. Sitting on the outside where they're early, sitting on the outside of the bar where they had the TV on. The Giants are playing the Bengals, so of course, Giant fan, I'm watching the game. I feel someone come up beside me. Are the Giants winning? I knew the voice. Immediately. Euchre. Oh. So, Euchre and I start doing lines for Major League together. And I said, how much of that stuff was Adler? He said, you have no idea how much didn't even make the cut. I mean, it all hit the title on the floor. Oh, really? They took what they wanted to take, but he said, Chris, there were so many lines 
that could that was so much better that could have gotten into the movie and didn't. So right before he left, I think my mom still has it. I had a business card. I said it would be this is another thing. 30 seconds. It was more than like five minutes, but with a kid who's 26. Right. But that moment, I'll, I'll never forget that for the rest of my life. He signs my uh, business card to Carol. Just a bit outside, Bob Euchre. And it made my life for that moment. Another story from that World Series. Walking into the press elevator, there's a gaggle of people coming at me. I'm the only one in there. The C's part, Joe D. Walks, couldn't see him. He was so tiny. Right. Comes in the elevator, stands right in front of me. My uncles, of course, who watched him play and loved him. Why didn't you say anything? You know, I heard so many stories, oh, yeah. especially in his older age. Right, yeah. You probably know better than me. But I just stood there in the back of the elevator, and I, you know, I could always say I, I rode the elevator with Joe. I just didn't want to ruin anything from that moment. Oh, yeah. But Major League is definitely. We don't, we don't have a moment from Major League. <laughs> you, you've seen it on my. I have on my desk an autographed baseball from Roger Dorn. There you go. Not even Corbin Merton from Roger Noyne. From when I saw him at a uh, Monster Mania convention in New Jersey, and I brought him a baseball. I said, I'd love for you to sign these balls, Roger Noyne. So I have that, and I have my DVD of Major League signed with a phrase I can't repeat on the air, but you know exactly <laughs> what it is. Number 24, Roger Noyne, which is a pretty cool piece of quasi baseball. And how did it feel striking you? It did. It, it had to do with Charlie Sheen and striking out some um, individuals. Yeah. <laughs> Boys, I, I had a blast doing this. No, thanks for having me. We gotta do this more. Yes, absolutely. All of it, all of all yeah. of everything's around here. We, Lou and I, most of this podcast is movie lines. Right. We, 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 we talk sports, but it's based around movie lines. And we have to buy one of those chess things so we can hit the chess thing after each one of us is moving. Like, then we have to quiz each other on what movie is from. Oh, okay. And thank God most of, most of the movies we've seen together. The car ride down here was a lot like that. Too, yes. From Sanford. It was just rapid fire one after the other. All right. Uh, that's going to wrap up the Chris Sheard Show portion of tonight. We thank you for coming down and listening. Uh, round of applause for Mr. Jim Leyritz one more time. The here with the New York Yankees in 1996. We have Steiner Sports here until 8 o'clock with the silent auction. Make sure you get back there. And of course, as always, please be kind to your uh, servers. Uh, they're working hard for you, so work hard for them. Like I said, Jim's going to be up here signing autographs or anybody who wants to uh, come up and grab one. Uh, $20 for an autograph, $25 if you want an inscription. And once again, we have the uh, Steiner Sports Auction. Thank you so much for coming out today. We appreciate it, Jimmy. Yeah, thank you for having me. My turn. Thank you. Always good to see you. Thanks for coming. And Daniela, once again, for coming down here to promote her charity. Once again, it's www.daniela'swish.org. Thanks a lot, everybody.